0: Welcome into another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman, and alongside me, back in Melbourne, back in the Big Smoke, Olga Nolich. It's great to have you back after your junket in Singapore, your junket in Sydney. You did a little bit of work as well, but it's just great to have you back in this fine city.
1: Don't say junket as though I, did, <laughs> as though I didn't like pay for myself to just exist in these places. Well, um, it's
0: unclear. It's unclear.
1: Ah no, thank you. Um, it's good to be back. I got I landed yesterday morning and that evening went straight to State Basketball Center for East Melbourne, Brisbane, which was a hilarious matchup with a wild result.
0: Yeah, sorry, Alex. I was a late withdrawal. Uh, Wasn't feeling the best yesterday. And I was shattered about it because I've been complaining to you for the last few weeks. There's no basketball in Melbourne. I just want to go back to a game. We were spoiled at the start of the season with two or three games per week. And then yesterday, I was just not feeling that well, so I I wasn't able to get down there. But they got two more games at the State Basketball Center, and those games are going to seriously mean something. So on this podcast last week, we broke down Melbourne United in detail, why they have been essentially the second best team in the league behind Sydney, based on a lot of the advanced numbers over the course of the last eight, nine games. We know that they are absolutely rolling. And I still said to you that I think the odds are stacked against them getting into the playing tournament because they've only got four games left and they just need a lot of things to go right. One of the things that they needed to go right was Southeast Melbourne throwing up all over themselves in a game against Brisbane at the State Basketball Center. And this this is a terrible loss. And we understand they've just got their star players back in the lineup and Based on what we've seen through the season, the Phoenix have been really, really good. I think they were 10 and three when they had their five starters in the lineup. And I've had them as my second seed in the league during that period. I think they're really, really good when they're healthy. But this loss now puts them at 500. And as I said, seven days ago, I thought the odds were stacked against Melbourne United. And here we are on Tuesday, the 17th of January, and Melbourne United are in the six.
1: So like there's there's this like adage, in sports where the the really great teams they beat the teams they're supposed to beat. Um like you you might struggle or you might be super competitive against other elite teams and all that. But when you're up against a team that you were supposed to beat that, that this is like the easy W um in your win loss record, you have to go get that game. Um and we saw that this week Melbourne went and did that in Brisbane and Southeast Melbourne went unable to do that in Southeast Melbourne. Um it is. It was so the the game was so interesting yesterday. It was really slow. It was really physical. A lot of stoppages. It was a game built for Southeast Melbourne. It was their crowd on top of you. Um, when the game slows down, that's what the Southeast wants. They want to post up. They they want to play in the half court and get through their stuff. Um, and they just looked a bit rusty. They look like they look like they hadn't played together in a, in a little while, um, which. Would be okay if this was the first iteration of this healthy team coming together, but now we're at a point where they've got four games left all against teams that are in that top six um or in that top eight I guess um three of those teams are three of the four best defenses in the league they've put themselves in a really tough position um where it, it would have been weird to say this last week, but a week has passed and Melbourne is in I think a significantly better position to make the playoffs than Southeast Melbourne is when you consider every single factor from the way they're playing, the way their roster is right now as far as health, um, the schedule remaining. Um, i ha- I am worried about Southeast Melbourne that they're not going to make the playoffs.
0: Yeah, it looked like they got a little bit, and this is actually understandable, but it looked like they got a little bit tight down the stretch as well when they realized that, oh crap we might be about to lose a game that we simply cannot afford to lose. They've lost five in a row overall. They were 12 and seven. And yeah, the last four games, they didn't have a whole bunch of their guys. There were some poor performances in there. But again, this was one that they had to have. But if you look what happened down the stretch, whether it was uh, the the Gary Brown free throws that he, you know, you can, I don't know. I would have to ask him whether he intentionally missed the third one. It didn't look like like he was
1: trying to make them.
0: Yeah, I think he he just short-armed it like he did the second one. And then he quickly rushed out, tried to shoot a three, was called for a travel. But the Phoenix got up six threes in the last 70 seconds of this game. They shoot fewer threes than any other team based on a percentage of three-point shots as field goal attempts, three-point rate, the lowest mark in the league. So they were actually scoring in other ways. And and Alan Williams missed a free throw as well. But they had 11 more free throws in the game, which is very Southeast Melbourne. They had the physical dominance, Aaron Baines wasn't even on the floor in the final minutes. There was kind of no excuse for them to just keep getting at the rack and keep getting to the free throw line. And then you're just going to knock them down. But instead of doing that, they tried to go for the home run hit. They tried to shoot the three when they were only down two a couple of times. It didn't go down for them. So, you know, execution down the stretch, maybe maybe they did get a little bit tight in a game that, again, they were aware of the ramifications of losing.
1: It sort of looked like Mitch Creek was going for that that hero shot toward the end. I think they... Would have been one and a half minutes left, roughly. Yeah. He uh, he shot he shot
0: it really well all season, but he was over six from three last night. Um yeah. which is tough.
1: Yeah, and so they were down two. So they presumably should have gone to their bread and butter. Well, throw it inside, get into Alan Williams, Mitch Creek, you know, diving to the rim, that sort of thing. Um he had good looks at the three. They didn't fall. Um And I asked Simon Mitchell about that after the game. He said he was happy with the shot selection. There was was a Brockhoff three at the end as well. He was happy with that. Um, And I I think the issues that I think, i say long-term, but over the remainder of this season, I think it's on the other end. Um, I thought Brisbane sort of just got to where they wanted in the paint. They were able just to get penetration and then work from that. Um, Even though they're a team that wants to run, they were pretty effective in the half court just from coming off – ball screens and, and getting two feet in the paint um and Simon Mitchell spoke about that as well you know he he was not impressed with the way his guards defended um and you know stopping ball handlers from getting in the paint and you know once they're in there you know Alan Williams isn't, is not an elite rim protector and so once you're in there that's your it's almost over for you um and it was it was it was a rough one because of the crowd, right? They they filled out that arena. It is you know I, the way they seat media, they kind of they just seat us in the stands, and so I was just amongst it. It gets really loud, um, it gets really rowdy, which is cool. Um, but yeah, that also mean and, and the thing is that it also means generally like a a game that's called a bit more tightly. Um, I think there was sixty one free throw shot in this game which is a lot of free throws. Um, and I, I think the nature of the game being so tight, the, the kind of the crowd being on you, I think the refs feel that a little bit. And I think that suits out this Melbourne. And so this was one of those wins that they had to, this would have been the easy win because they have, if I pull up the schedule, they've got, you know, a game against Sydney coming up. They've got Tasmania next. They've got Cairns. They've won against Perth. So they've got just four tough matchups in a row, all double wins, except for that Sydney one, I guess. Um, so they're all super important but this was the one that this was supposed to be the easy win the sort of buffer they were supposed to get before they went on you know a tough road trip to Tasmania
0: yeah last five games you probably thought if they go three and two they finish 15 and 13 which I believe was their record last year Um, last year obviously only there was the top four so uh, they caused damage to the Perth Wildcats but they didn't get in themselves and I think that yeah they were 15 and 13 so that's probably still where they want to get to but that means they've got to win 3 out of those last 4 and as you mentioned it starts on Thursday night against the Jack Jumpers who are again right in that mix so uh while i said the odds were stacked against melbourne last week it's just wide open now adelaide is in, is the interesting team they're in 8th and they are not playing well at all but the thing that we love is that they've got two games against melbourne united so their season yeah. is absolutely in their own hands there but now they're in the spot that Melbourne's been in for a number of weeks, where they don't need to just jump one team; they need to ne- jump two teams to get into that top six as well. So it's going to be uh, fascinating. And yeah, I would imagine if you're a Phoenix fan, you're waking up this morning and uh, wishing that it was all a dream because that was not a game that you could afford to lose. Do you have any final thoughts, or should we move on to the breaking news of today?
1: Let's go to the let's go to the breaking news.
0: We have discussed the awards on this podcast. <laughs> You my say lawyer. disgust
1: as though you it's just you ranting yeah, about well, why Brady Manning can't win Rookie of the Year.
0: Yeah, that's true. But I also don't get to vote on the awards this year. Uh, I've been scrubbed from the list. And I wonder if it was all my criticisms of the uh, of the criteria that cost me. So I'm, I'm disappointed about that. But do you know what the good thing is? When people like you that vote for the awards mess it up, I can't be held accountable, Alks.
1: Yeah, dude, but do you not... Firstly, it is a travesty that you're not among the the <laughs> list of voters. Let's just yeah. get that out there. Um, but then, do you not trust me to make objective, reasonable, you know, data driven decisions on these awards? Well,
0: I actually wish that we disagreed a little more often. It would uh, it would be it would be better. But no, we we're aligned on a lot of things. But you mentioned Brady Manic and the Rookie of the Year. So my take that I had with Rookie of the Year was just simply that it, I understand Brady Manic's import but if you're allowing a player like rayon repair who's going to be a top 15 nba draft pick to be eligible for, for rookie of the year and is a highly a higher touted prospect than brady manic ever was why why would rayon repair be allowed to be eligible for rookie of the year but not uh, brady manic and the answer for that as you said was that they wanted Lamelo ball to win rookie of the year a few years ago so they said okay now next stars are eligible imports still not so now what we've got is the Rookie of the no Year one, No out. one wins
1: Rookie of the Year. No, no one can win Rookie of the Year now, right?
0: It's gone. They've got rid of it altogether, <laughs> And now we've got the next generation award. And the criteria is pretty simple. You're got to be under 25 on April 30, 2023, or for each season. Uh, and you're in the mix. Now, this does open up eligibility to a guy like Brady Manik. It also opens up eligibility to a guy like Sam Froling. Who has already won the most improved award in this league in a previous <laughs> season? So, what do you think overall of this change? I will just say quickly before I let you expand. I think you can nitpick at the age and all those types of things, but overall, I like the idea. I think this is good.
1: I like I, the idea is fine. I think the direction they wanted to go. It Was I think the intent was right. It was I think it's correct. Um, I don't. I I just wonder if it'll, if the award will become somewhat redundant, because so like let's say Sam Froling. I think I think he easily wins it this season. Right, he's averaging fourteen and eight.
0: I'm coming back to that in a second. Continue.
1: Okay, I think he easily wins it this season. I think a good chance he probably easily wins it next season too. Um he by then he's going to be a five-year pro and so are we giving the next generation award to a five-year pro is that how this works now the the whole point was oh we we need the the, again the intent behind this was let's expand it so we can include dps and and so when luke Travers has that great dp season or mason peatling does or sean mcdonald does they are in the the mix for it right but once you expand it so broadly so the age limit is, I think, slightly high. Um, then you have so many people in it that Sean McDonald is now probably lower down the rank than he ever would have been if this if this was just the normal Rookie of the Year award and you just add DPs to it. Um, so, like that, that's a weird part of it. In my mind, I, I think they would have been better off throwing in years played as the cutoff. Maybe, maybe cut it at four years of being a professional basketball player. Like, maybe that's it. Um, and then the import argument is a completely separate one, which <laughs> I'll let you say your on. thing for. I'll <laughs> let you say your thing and then I'll tee off on allowing imports to win this award. So, the
0: old rookie of the year, unless I'm mistaken, and I've been mistaken before, uh, but Luke Travers. So, if you were a, a DP, you were eligible for the award. But then he no. was also eligible for the award, his first year in the contract of play, even though he'd been a DP for two years. Is that right?
1: No. So a, a DP could not win Rookie of the Year. You can only win Rookie of the Year in your first full rostered year. That's season. right. So,
0: sorry. That's right. So that was his third year in in the league, technically, though. Yes. So, so there was some pushback to that. Uh, because... And we understand. I, I don't really have a problem with that. Whatever. The only... Question I would have for this. So there's a couple of things based on what you've said there. So would you say that there would be any merit in saying you can only win the award once? Is that is that silly?
1: Um, that's not that's not something I I'm agnostic on that. I, don't, yeah. I, I I'm apathetic. I don't I don't really care.
0: Okay. The other thing that I would say for the race of this year's award. Because I was kind of like you. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Sam Franklin probably uh, is the leader of the pack. I think you're a little more strong in thinking that he's just going to win it. But...
1: I think he's the overwhelming favourite.
0: Yeah. My question would be, and this will, this is where it's going to be interesting with the coaches, the captains, the assistant coaches that get to vote for this award. What emphasis do we place on winning? Because the Hawks are well, I don't know what their record, two and two and 20 or something now, two and 21? Two and 21. So, and they've had imports out all season long. So I, my question would be, and Sam Fralin, by the way, is clearly a rising star in this league. So it's not even a knock on him, but it, it's almost like you, you look at the numbers with the Hawks and you're like, well, someone's, someone's going to get the numbers. And he's, he, he's starting at center. And would Sam Wardenberg's numbers be better if he wasn't the fifth option on the Cairns Taipans? Probably.
1: Okay, but by that argument, um when when we were uh existing under normal rookie of the year rules uh the winner of the rookie of the year generally just goes to the player who goes to a team where his opportunity is the biggest and that would have been sam wardenberg this year he just and his team is winning which i think changes things a little bit but he was the favorite coming in we all said so because he was going in with the assumption that he was going to be a starter and so it's sort of the same thing like he's and we also thought Cance wasn't gonna be wasn't gonna be that great um but again, he's he's in he was he was in consideration for rookie of the year, and he's in consideration here because he just happens to get a ton of minutes on a the team. Um, there are other rookies out there who just don't get minutes, and but they may be better players. So I feel like I feel like that's a weird argument.
0: No, no, because if you if you point to and you say, "Well, Sam Freeland's averaging fourteen and eight, it's like, "Yeah, well, he's 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 in a featured role that." if he was on the Cairns Thai Bands, maybe he wouldn't be. And so it's it's just, I'm curious, and I'm not even making an argument either way. I actually wrote the story on ESPN.com.au and said Sam Wardenberg's probably waking up the hardest done by NBL player this morning because he had this award yeah. in the bag uh, as it was previously constructed. But I'm just pointing a you know point of difference here. I'm curious with the coaches, if they see something to Sam Wardenberg, they're going to go against these guys and the Cairns Thai Bands. currently a second On the ladder and he's playing an important role and by the way i think he's getting better i think some of his better games have been in the last little stretch here without pinder which again is because he's getting greater opportunity
1: yeah and look i agree with that he's clearly getting better um him taking it to the rim is really cool you know everyone's closing out super hard on him um, and he's really good putting the ball on the floor um i just i i firstly i don't want the coaches so the head coaches assistant coaches and captains vote for this award um, so the voting group that has been selected in the media doesn't have a say in this. Um, I, I just don't think... Um, I hope that those voters don't vote for Sam Warnenberg out of pity because he was a shoe in for the Rookie of the Year Award up until this point where they've changed it. Um, that's another thing. I think they should have introduced this for next season, <laughs> changing it mid-season, when presumably there are betting markets that have been yeah, open that's on it. I, f- I find that a bit odd um so and so i hope that the head coaches assistant coaches and captains vote based on merit um and if they do i think it's i still think it's sam froling i think brady manic is making a case a mm. very legitimate case and, and then that's also part of this too if we're in, now we're including imports again brady manic arguably has a better case than sam ordenberg he's a he's averaging 12 a game his rebounds are ticking up he's a practically a 40 percent three-point shooter on a team that's also in the playing mix, you know he, he's another guy who's in consideration. Um, however, the including imports, it's not something I agree with, and I and I agreed that it wasn't a good thing to add to the rookie of the year award, and I don't think it should be part of this award either, um, purely based on the context of how imports enter the league. It's, the team will sign. Australians will come and play in the NBL generally because generally by necessity, this is the league. This is the league where they are local players. This is the the natural pathway to becoming a professional. If if an import comes here, it means that a team has scouted that player and to to the point where he is a top, let's say 20% player in the league. So that player is entering the league with the expectation that he will be one of the better players on his team. And so the import, if if you get a young import, uh, he will necessarily come in uh, with expectations that are higher than any generally any Australian, and I don't think that that is conducive to what this award is supposed to be, which is like a a young what next gen sort of award. Um, wow! Because then another you go. Uh, I'll say one more thing quickly. Do you know who is not eligible for this award and who is a rookie this season? junior madot uh and that's just because he's too old because some because people work on different timelines and so i think if they change this to years played professionally i feel like it would have been you you would get more of the desired outcome that the nbl is trying to achieve here outside of what happens if someone gets an import out of college, straight out of college and that player that import is maybe like a draft and stash sort of guy and all of a sudden you have this dude who's averaging twenty a game, and no one can compete with him. Let's say next season that happens. Alex Dukas maybe comes to the league, has a really good season. It drops maybe twelve, three and three. and then but all of a sudden there's this import who's dropping twenty five and five and all of a sudden your next gen award doesn't go to Alex dukas. it goes to this this import. I don't know,
0: yeah, I don't. I don't feel that strongly about it. Like, if you're a rookie, we've seen Brady Manic go through challenges that all rookies do when they come to a tough league, particularly as a big man. So, if you're in your legitimately in your first year as a pro, I just don't care. Like, I don't think we need to hand it to a guy because he's a local and the numbers aren't really that impressive. And I'm not saying that about anyone this year, but just as a general rule. Because the other thing is, you have guys that now with the next stars that have, like I said, high expectations they are going to be a top 10 NBA pick and potentially have long and uh, expansive careers in the NBA. So I I don't know. I, I I'm not saying you're wrong. I just don't think about it that deeply. Like if you're a rookie, they used to have the rookie of the year. They should be eligible. They should be eligible for this next gen award. And, I think it's. I also just think it's better for the league if you have high-profile players that come over here and win this award. Let's face it; that's why they wanted the Lamelo Ball to win the Rookie of the Year. So it's probably what yeah. the league wants. So I, I don't have a huge problem with that. Although you make a pretty good case about pumping up our Aussie and New Zealand young players that are doing fantastic things in the year, in the league. But overall, I like the change. Another change that I liked and we discussed it briefly was the Perth Wildcats just saying we're going all in on offense and <laughs> we're at this point in the season where we're getting another scorer, another bucket getter in Ty Webster and let's see where we land. So they beat New Zealand who we can get to in a little bit. Uh, they really beat down Adelaide in the open air game. And by the way, uh, the open air, sometimes... You think it can impact shooting. It did not impact the Perth Wildcats in this game. They had 60 plus points at <laughs> half time, but these two wins have put them in a decent spot. They're 12 and 10. They're currently in fifth. And it was interesting in these two games versus New Zealand. So they had. A one seventeen point eight defensive rating in the game against New Zealand. New Zealand was scoring at will. Derek Pardon was thirteen for fifteen, and it was just a pick and roll training exercise for much of the night. He had his biggest okay. night for the season overall. The Breakers shot seventy one percent at the rim, but they couldn't win because they couldn't stop the Breakers from continuously scoring. Uh, sorry, the Wildcats from the Wildcats, continuously yeah. scoring uh, down the other end, which is again a fun brand of basketball for me to watch. I like it against Adelaide and some of this was garbage time adelaide ended up with 97 points on the game and the game was over early but, yeah. but they found a way to score they had 54 points in the paint they were 59% on two point attempts and the the flip side of what the wildcats did is the what the 36ers were 5 for 28 from three in that game <laughs> and could not hit a three in total but all this is to say that the wildcats are doing what we thought they were doing last week and they are just outscoring teams right now and seeing if, hey, we put up 110 a game, chances are we're going to win.
1: It, and so we went, as soon as they signed Ty Webster, we knew, okay, they are the the worst defensive team in the league, statistically, um, based on the efficiency, and they don't care. Well, not that they don't care, but they don't care to fix that based on personnel. They can maybe try hard, to fix that late. internally. Yeah. Uh, you know, do we do we get a big man? Do we do something to shore up at what we do defensively? No. Nah. As soon as I got Ty Webster, we knew, all right, they're just going to go all out on shot creation, putting the ball in the bucket. And if we can go and score 110 points, 120 points, we're going to bet on another team not being able to do that. Um, and right now it's looking okay. Uh, it's paying off. The win over New Zealand was it was impressive. Um, defensively again they weren't amazing but for them to rebound the way they did down the stretch uh, to get the shots that they did that was impressive. We know that Adelaide, also extremely impressive that shot making was unbelievable uh, for an open air game where like you said the shot making is supposed to diminish a little bit, didn't look like that one bit I, I do fear for that style of play as we go into a postseason yeah. um, I, I fear for any style of play that is not that is not predicated around improving one of the league's worst defenses that that scares me. Um, But for now, I guess like we, it's fun. Like they get to just go up and down and and score a bunch and they're playing super desperate, which I like. And I think that that starts with John really cutting that rotation down to something that I don't think I've ever seen. I've I've never seen an NBA team do this in the playoffs where it's like a six man rotation. Like that's, that's almost unheard of. Um, and so I think that trickles down to the playing group as well um right now they're fifth they're twelve and ten, and they probably I think they probably make the play in especially with southeast Melbourne uh losing yesterday like that puts them in a tough spot um but it, it's what they're doing offensively very cool, very exciting it still doesn't change uh the defensive issues they have which is the where my overarching like thought of the team is. Which and that that's like that's how I gauge their ceiling. That's how I gauge how far I think they'll go. And and that's still the one thing that I don't think that they've addressed.
0: We discussed at the start of the season multiple times that they weren't defending then either. Uh, but it was all brass cotton or nothing else. But now you got both Webster guys. You got Brady Manic who has these nights like he did the other night where he can get your twenty five and, and look like he's not going to miss a three. So they just got more options. And as you said, he's cut the rotation and Todd Blanchfield really struggling for much of the season. Mitch Norton, he's not an explosive scorer by nature, but they've just replaced those guys with those major minutes with a number of players that can get you 25 on a night. So all of a sudden they just look a little more dynamic offensively as you pointed to, literally first in offensive rating and last in defensive <laughs> rating. It is crazy. I just can't remember seeing this. And as we've said, historically that is not a championship winning formula, but they are desperate right now, as you pointed to, and they picked up a couple of really, really important wins. And let's face it, there is teams in the mix that are scuffling and the Wildcats found a way uh, with these two games. So now they're in a decent spot. Uh, I want to ask you about the breakers though. Yeah. are you? Where's your concern level for the breakers? And I really feel for them because they were flying, flying before this COVID stuff really messed them up. And, didn't play for the better part of three weeks. They were faced with playing 11 games in the month of January alone. And they're rusty. They're not playing at the level that they were, particularly defensively. Their first 17 games, they had a defensive rating of 104. That's ballooned out to 114 over their last five. So the defense just isn't where it was previously. And then additionally, they've had a couple of close losses here without Barry Brown. And I'm sure they would love to have that 20 plus points a night they can get from him as well. So they're, they're scuffling a little bit. And I don't know whether it's good news or bad news. I don't know how this is going to go, but they've still got six games to go in the regular season as well. So there is a lot of basketball and a lot of travel for the breakers up here in the lead-in to the to the play-in. And they look like they're a lock for top two. Now they're in a fight to try and get back in that mix with Cairns.
1: Yeah, and I I, I don't think they'll get back in there. Um they just they it looks like they're gonna be kind of vying for that three four five spot that's just where I feel like they are um the the brown injury was tough like he he's their leading scorer any take the leading scorer of any team they will struggle um i I'm not overly concerned mm-hmm. um like I still trust in so like the the con- the context is always important and the, that starts with their covert situation that they went through um it goes to will mcdowell white missing a whole bunch of games i think they lost three in a row without will mcdowell white and he, he's the head of that thing. he
0: went off the other night
1: He what 29 hit a bunch of threes he's he's great he's and he's 17 days too old to win the uh, the new next gen award i must say um would he be so, a
0: favorite ahead of sam Farley?
1: probably yeah <laughs> i think so yeah yeah um and so they missed him for a bunch of those games as well and they miss Brown for the the latter few games, and so the the context is important as far as like what what does a healthy New Zealand team look like and how does how do they perform? I still think a healthy New Zealand team is a top three team in the league um and that's because of what they're able to do on both ends of the floor, but particularly defensively. so I'm not overly concerned if they get healthy um but they they really shot themselves in the foot in the sense of. They were eschewing for, they were fighting for that one and two spot. And it's important, as, as much as we talk about trying to make that six, make that, you know, three, four, five, six spot, getting in that top two is good. So you don't have to get that playing game. And that's what scares me. A playing game against Tasmania is not something that I want to be involved in. A playing game against Perth is not something that I want to do because that's the game that, mark my words, Brady Manek is going to hit six threes in that game. It's just gonna happen. That's just the way this works, and so like they've they've shot themselves in the foot in that respect. Um, but again, in in the, in the opposite uh, uh, way of thinking that I think about Perth, I trust New Zealand a bit more because of the way they're able to defend, and they've they've proven that enough over the course of the seasons, that I can kind of stick by that.
0: I think that's right. Uh, big picture, just looking at the title stuff. And it's not to say these teams that finish outside the top two can't win the title. Of course they can, um, but it would be challenging or just adding another layer of the challenge to a breakers team who's still 13 and nine, by the way. So the Taipans pants are 16 and seven. So they've a couple of games behind in a lost column. That's going to be tough to get back up, up in there unless they go uh, on a big run here. But what it might potentially do is then add further travel. Where it, it, whereas yep. you would have been sitting at home watching the playing tournament, feet up on the coffee table. Uh, Murdy Mayall probably would have them practicing like maniacs, but uh, they <laughs> wouldn't have to travel for that first playing game straight into a semi-final series as well. So it does add uh, just, just a, an extra layer of travel, which they don't need because four of their last six games are on the road as well. So let me ask you this. So when I was looking through the numbers last night with the breakers, I was thinking to myself, what has changed defensively? And when I'm looking, this is just the way I look at it, but when I'm looking at small samples and saying, okay, the New Zealand... Breakers defense, as I said, is giving up 10 more points per 100 possessions. The first number I look at is the percentage the opposition is shooting from three because, in in a small sample, maybe they just played a couple of teams that got really hot and that's just bad luck. Like, sure, they can be defensive stuff, but shooting luck is a big indicator.
1: It happens. Yeah.
0: So, uh, but it's not not as drastic. And that's why I was like, okay, well, what what else can we find here? So, opponents were shooting 30% from three against the Breakers over the first 17 games, which, by the way, is awful. That is is a very, very low number. And we know that the Breakers do have great perimeter defense. So that's definitely a big part of that. It's gone up to 33% over the last five games. So not drastic. And 33% is not a good number overall. But the number that stands out, and it's been a bit of a talking point, the opponent free throw rate for the first 17 games was 31.6%. That's gone up to 40.3% over the last five games, which would be the highest mark in the league. So my question to you is, because it's been a talking point, the breakers are physical. they're, They're too physical. They're bashing up our guys. They're getting away with stuff they shouldn't be allowed to. I have been watching, and sometimes I'm looking at these fouls and I'm thinking, I don't know whether that's the type of whistle I'm looking to see in a game of basketball. Is there anything to the fact... That the breakers are being called differently in your opinion,
1: so who was there was a we we're either involved in or we watch every press conference. who was there was a coach recently who was asked about officiating. Um, and he mentioned the fact that um, that coaches go into press conferences with the intent of sort of driving officials' decisions um sort well, they've of maybe all been pointing, doing it by the
0: way they've all been doing it and i don't oh, blame them it's not
1: They're unique gonna... and it's also not unique to like no. the nbl or to this nbl season like that no is way. the thing that happens um and they all do it so like we famously it was chase buford what i want to say a month or two ago who said the breakers they play like the all blacks <laughs> like that was a line that was out there we've and so we constantly hear head coaches going to press conferences talking about you know Uh, You know, these guys get away with calls. They get away with extra physicality. I think we've heard that a lot. I think we've heard that from more than two coaches this season, that the breakers are very physical and they get away with it. We've heard that about Tasmania as well. Um, And maybe this is just, maybe that's something that, and I I don't know this, but maybe the league sees that or or the refs see that and they self-correct to the point where it goes, it maybe sways too far the opposite direction that is potentially a thing that is happening it could also be that they're just not guarding as well you know for example not having McDowell white in there you know maybe mm-hmm. there are more drivers to the rim things like things like that are very possible um but like we saw that that, that breakers game against um adelaide like joe brantley was up and in rob franks like, i've never seen someone you know tighter with an offensive player in my life um and so it it could just be maybe they're just slacking defensively maybe they're fatigue coming off COVID um I reckon there's more likely than not that all of the discourse the rhetoric mm. around the league has maybe led people to self-correct a bit too much the other way um and is that okay is that an adjustment do you have to adjust to that or do you play the way you're playing and just let the chips fall where they may
0: it's interesting uh I'm always fascinated when I get to talk to Old players or current players about the idea of well they can't call everything, and it's true <laughs> they can't. And if you set the tone early, maybe you can set the the record for the for the rest of the game. But uh, also, if you are Jarrell Brantley or you're Derek Pardon and you're in foul trouble in the first five minutes of the game, that's not helping anyone either. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how the Breakers pull through. And as we said, uh, still six games to go, and they're thirteen and nine. So all this is just to say how impressive they were early in the season to have this little scuffle and still be 13 and nine uh i think we've covered most of the topics we wanted to get to unless there's something really pressing the sydney kings again they only played the illawarra hawks since last time we spoke again the hawks just they are just a scrappy bunch of fellas out there and i think they've got a win in them before the end of the season but the kings were able to close them out sydney 17 and 5 they just they keep getting it done
1: yes sydney's really good and and they look like a bit lethargic that game that was a weird one I asked Chase after the game I was in that building I asked Chase um you know how did they stop Zave Cooks he had four field goal attempts just to, like didn't look like himself and Chase just said without discrediting the defense that Illawarra played Zave just like wasn't aggressive like it just it was on him um which I also actually disagree with I think um I think Ilawera guarded the paint really well I think Mango Matsyang, I thought Froling to an extent, I thought Deng Deng, like even Dave O'Hickey, I thought these guys defended the rim really well and it sort of maybe gave Zay like a second thought about whether he's going to take it to the rim or just, you know, like dribble back out for a handoff or something like that. So I thought Illawarra played really well. I thought they guarded very well. Um, And I just feel so bad for him because, again, I spoke about this last week. I think the vibes are good in that camp. For 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 a 2-21 record, vibes are good. Um, And they've lost... I don't know the number now, like the last 10 games by single digits. It's just an absurd number. Um, And I've been in like the past three or four press conferences with Jacob Jacobus and whoever the player is. And it's just the same questions every time it's, you go in and it's oh Jacob, like tough loss, but must be proud of the team. Like it's (laughs) just, it's to a point where I feel that pain. I feel his pain of like, yeah, like, Yes, the pride is ongoing, but Jesus, we just need outcomes, um, and that's what's tough because you're trying to you're trying to impress a fan base too, and fan bases are generally not as nuanced as you know the people who cover the game, the people within the game, and so like you just need outcomes in order to to keep the fan base ticking, and they're just not achieving that, and it just sucks for them.
0: It does from my vantage point, though a very admirable back half of the season from that team. And uh, I do hope they mm. get a win. And if you had asked me last week, you probably did ask me a week ago, whether I thought Brisbane or Illawarra were more likely to win a game, I would have said the Hawks easily, but the bullets got it done last night <laughs> as well. And they picked up win number six. And uh, we started this podcast with the Phoenix. They got Tassie on Thursday night. Both teams need to win but the Phoenix desperately need to win and they need to bounce back. And I would say they'd come back with some venom after uh, last night's performance and maybe second game back for some of these guys. They'll be in better shape as well. So I'm looking forward to that. Olgs, uh, uh, make sure you watch the jump, 9.30 Wednesday night. And then Thursday night, watch uh, Kane and Copes before the basketball. Make sure you tune in and support your your good friend over here.
1: Don't imply that I don't. Of course, as soon as so as soon as Tazi's mobile finishes, straight into the jump. That's what right. you're going to have a, a, a player from the the winning team.
0: That's Wednesday night. I think I said it's Thursday. Yeah, Wednesday night. I should know that. Yeah, we'll have a player from the winning team. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Again, I know I know the run sheet. I'm aware of how your show works because I'm a, I'm a consistent viewer. A you're bird. welcome.
0: That'd be good. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you got anything cooking espn.com.au?
1: Um yeah, like this month There'll be, there'll be a few. Keep an eye out. Like we, we see how Josh Giddy's playing, so just keep an eye out for some Ooh. some Gid content.
0: He's playing superb basketball. And the Cairns Taipans, we didn't get stuck into them too much in this podcast, partly because i got something in the works on their offense at the moment, catching up with Adam Ford tomorrow, Wednesday afternoon, as we're recording this podcast. So if you're a Snakes fan and you're listening to this podcast, there should be some good stuff on ESPN.com.au coming up because... Uh, Somehow, I don't know whether it's under the radar, but uh, somehow uh, they find themselves in second spot on the ladder and uh, just looming as a potential. Six straight
1: wins. Six straight wins. Most of them without, all of them without, without Keanu Pinder. They're playing really good, damn good basketball.
0: All right, I'm gonna go watch some damn good basketball this afternoon. i uh, next week I believe we'll be back in the studio. But I'll definitely I'm coming to the State Basketball Center on Sunday afternoon. Please. Phoenix and Wildcats. I'll be all recovered by that point. I'll be there and i look Thank forward you. to seeing you back in the uh, basketball building, Ives.
1: Thank you, Kane. I'll see you soon.
0: See you all next week.